Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Casperson. Women, welcome back. I'm so excited today to have Miss Corinne Crabtree. She is the host of Losing 100 Pounds with Corinne Crabtree, which is a massively successful podcast. has like 32 million listens, and it's in the top 200 in America. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. She has a passion to change women's lives. She wants to teach every woman to lose weight for good and feel as amazing as she deserves. What I love about Corinne is she gets women to literally like stand up, taking ownership for their lives, which is what I want them to do in the bedroom as well. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Well, let me just say, this might be my most fun podcast I'm going to be doing. (laughs) I'm ready. Let's talk sex. Let's talk sex and let's talk self-love as well. Can you start us out by talking to us about what self-love looks like? Yeah. So I think self-love and self-care to me kind of are in the same bucket of misunderstanding. A lot of people like, well, I want to love myself. And so they go out and they Google and they Pinterest. What are the things you do to do it? But the problem is a lot of us haven't reconciled that we deserve it, that we're worthy, that we have time for it, that no one else will be suffering if we're over here loving ourselves and caring for ourselves. So what I watch a lot of my clients do is they try to implement self-love through self-care initiatives while also sitting there telling themselves, like, oh, my kids miss me. Or, you know, my husband shouldn't have to take care of the kids while I do this. Or there's so many things that's still left undone. And we harbor all this guilt and we bring in our, you know, I don't have time for this. And we feel very undeserving. We feel very overwhelmed. And then we wonder why we're never loving and self-caring. We have such a bad relationship with it. So one of the things that I teach first when I think about the concept of self-love and self-care is first and foremost, you got to understand like how you think about it first. Because if you don't have a good relationship with it in your mind, doing it will be excruciating. And then you'll quit doing it. And then you're just left with no self-care, no self-love, no learning, no anything. Totally. I see this a lot, like in the, I'm a physician. So in the physician world, it's like, you got to take care of yourself, put on your oxygen mask first. And there's almost like a backlash against that wellness now. Like stop telling people to go to the spa because they're trying to like check off the to-do list of self-care instead of getting under that, like, what does it actually mean to care for me first and foremost? Yeah, I think that's important because like, to me, the ultimate self-care is when you can mentally relax with yourself. If you can be alone with yourself, if you can have pockets of time when you're alone and you like it because you have nice thoughts about you, you have nice thoughts about your life, you like are not sitting there thinking about all the things that aren't undone and all the things you should be doing. To me, that's true self-care is when you've really learned how to, and I get what you're saying about the put your oxygen mask on first. That is such a trigger for so many women to think when I put my oxygen mask on, that means all the rest of them need to suffer. Like they're just going to have to like, I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to take time for me. Like the oxygen is a limited substance instead of like the love actually gets to spill over. Exactly. So it's like, if we don't really understand what's happening, putting ourselves first, if it's a selfish act, most of us will never pull the trigger. We have to really understand that, you know, when you're taking care of yourself, what it means positively for the people you love the most. What are all these things that you're saying about like how other people serve? How is that not true? Are there people in your life right now 
rooting and dying for you to take care of yourself, but you just keep ignoring that part. So it's like really unpacking and uncovering all of that. I love it. Give us some tips for that that brain that's been trained by decades of society and people around you to kind of beat yourself up all the time. Like, I just can't, all that people will be like, I just can't help it. Like it's this automatic thing. Give us tips for that if you can. Well, I think that is like, so that is like the, the key. It is automatic. We have heard it all of our life. Like not only has it been poured into us, you know, most women are sitting around all the time complaining about how stressed they are, how overwhelmed they are, how they hate their body, how they like, like, I just wish I could eat like a normal person. We start internalizing all of this as this, this is just how it is. And then we are going to think those things automatically. I think one of the things that gives my clients so much peace is when I'm first talking to them about their brain and how it works is that you're very normal for having those thoughts. None of those thoughts are wrong. You can have as many, like the real art is learning how to have as many of those automatic thoughts as possible. Sometimes feeling them, but being so alert to when you're thinking something and feeling something and understanding, you don't have to follow through with it. Just because you feel overwhelmed doesn't mean that you have to sit down and have a snack. You can be like, oh, what am I thinking about right now? Do I even want to think about this? Is this the way I would love to think about it? Like, I think a lot of people don't understand that automatic thoughts aren't a problem because when they think they're a problem, then every time your brain is going to offer up its stuff, if you think it's a problem, you're going to argue with it. You're going to wish it would go away. You're going to be frustrated by it. You're going to have a lot of extra crappy feelings loaded on top. And that becomes the hard part. Automatic thoughts aren't that bad. It's not bad until we start judging them. Mm -hmm. That part is the awful part. And that's the part I'm always trying to teach people to unwind. You have a brain. It doesn't think lush thoughts. Welcome to being a human. (laughs) Right? I was just listening. They're like, if you get a lobotomy to like remove the negative thoughts, because that's like what it was designed to do. We just need to learn to be aware of it. And to be like, oh, that's just part of the operating hardware that got pre-programmed. That's so funny. You're the only other person. I, I say that all the time. <laughs> My clients will be mad about their thinking. And I'm like, all right, are you fixing a lobotomy sometime soon? They're like, well, no. And I'm like, all right, then quit bitching that your brain is not thinking perfectly. <laughs> right? So I love it that you brought up lobotomies. I'm like, I, I feel like the only person that's like, are you getting one? <laughs> Right. And then you like, that would probably have side effects and take away the other good stuff too. But I don't think women, women aren't taught that having a negative feeling or thought is okay at all. We spend our whole lives trying to only get to the good stuff. And then we buffer with food or alcohol or overwork instead of being like, yeah, no, that's everybody's brain. They just do it. They do that. A lot of us don't realize that we can have a negative thought and even a feeling come along with it, but we still have a choice. We don't have to act on it. I think we, I think a lot of us, especially in the coaching world, we, we get afraid of our thinking that, well, if I'm having these thoughts, then that means I'm going to start doing these things and then this will happen. It doesn't mean that at all. Like there's intervention points always. Like when you start feeling something, you can intervene. If you start thinking something, you can intervene. If you catch yourself in the act of doing something, you can intervene. Like we have the power to intervene. And I think that's the missing component. I think we just are like, no, I really need to think purely all the time in order to be able to do the things I want in life. It's like, no, you need to get better at changing gears when crap's not working in your favor. 
<laughs> I love it. Let's talk about motivation. And I think people's the myth of motivation of like, it's like a, a product that you have to get to have weight loss, to have a healthy sex life. So many women are like, but I need the motivation. And I, I kind of like throwing the motivation as like a completely unnecessary ingredient. What? How do you talk about it when women wonder where their motivation is? I tell them motivation's earned. We don't start with motivation. I, I always just tell everybody, I always like that. assume that you're never going to be motivated. Just assume it. That will keep you from looking for it all the time as if it's a necessary component. I tell people like motivation is earned. You show up a few times when you don't want to. Eventually you're like, oh, some good stuff's happening. Now I'm motivated to keep going. Motivating Motivation to me is more like a byproduct. Mm -hmm. Now, every now and then, like you'll hear someone talk or something will happen and you'll have a thought that allows you to be motivated on the front end. It's just so rare. So I just tell people don't count on it. But the feeling that I teach people to look for all the time that is the unsung hero, especially in weight loss, is, but are you willing? Willingness is the feeling most of us need so that when self-doubt comes, when fear comes, when like confusion, overwhelm, it's like, I get you're thinking all that and I get you're feeling that way. But are you willing to keep going while you have it? Are you willing to try the thing, to do the thing, knowing that if you do that, some good stuff will happen? Are you willing to do it anyway? Then you can work on all this crap you've got coming up. That I think is like the most important part. Yeah, the the whole thing it kind of in the sex ed world, th- again, things women didn't get taught, right, is that a lot of female sexual desire isn't spontaneous. The whole myth of spontaneous desire is like Hollywood and more of a male paradigm. And yes. so women's desire really comes in during the act of having sex, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, are you willing to go there knowing that's where the desire comes from? And that's a very different way of uh, than saying like, you should just do it. Instead right. of like, no, you should be willing and then be curious about what happens when you show up. I love that. I mean, I honestly, I did not know that about like the difference between men and women and stuff until about, it's about a year ago. I was like studying because I'm, I'm in my 40s, I'm 47. And like, I have always had a, a pretty good sex life. My husband likes it. I mean, we've, you know, whatever, but I just noticed I didn't want it like I used to. Mm-hmm. And we would lay and watch Netflix and I would just like, just laugh and say like, have we ever had sex like that? Have we ever just broke out and want to do it on a hardwood floor, shoved me up against the wall? I'm like, nobody's doing that. <laughs> and so that whole, like, there's so many perpetuated myths. It's just like in weight loss. We get all these things implanted in us. Then we think this is how sex should look. This is how dieting is supposed to look. This is how a body should look. Like we get all this stuff programmed into us. And then when our internal environment is different, then we think, well, what's wrong with me? Something must be wrong with me. So I think the more you can educate women on the sex cycle and like what it really looks like and stuff, it's just like me showing my loose skin. Like this is what a hundred pounds weight loss looks like. It ain't that perfect. So get over that. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it's so true. And like the Hollywood myths, right? Of like, this is what a successful sex life is, or this is what a successful person who has won the weight loss thing, you know, looks like she's Mm -hmm. perfect all the time. Like, no. And I love how you talk about 
so many people are like, when I lose a lot of weight, then I'll be happy. When I lose a lot of weight, then I'll be blah, blah, blah. Like they're waiting to be able to feel all that, all that goodness. And you're here to be like, number one, you could feel it now. And number two, it's not all rainbows there. Right. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So it's a concept that I teach. It's based in this future self concept. So in weight loss in particular, we have this idea that like, we're so busy setting a goal weight, you know, it's like, the first thing, any trainer, any, like anybody you're going to work with just about will ask you is like, well, what do you want to weigh? And they dead stop there. They're like, all right, so you want to weigh 150? Okay, well, let's get to work. Here's all the things we need to do. They never even ask the person, but what does life look like there? Like, what, what are you thinking it's going to be like? Because what you want to do is specifically in weight loss, if you don't know what life's going to look like there, there's no way for you to start creating the same kinds of thinking you think is going to happen magically when you get there, the same kind of feelings that are going to come along for the ride. You have to be implanting them all along the way. Otherwise, you end up losing weight and you definitely will be happy for blips. But the second, like I watch people do this all the time, they'll lose weight. And then after about three or four weeks, they're getting on the scale. They're no longer thrilled. They're getting on the scale and they're like, they're going from, I'm so glad I lost weight to, I hope I didn't gain weight this week. And so then they start converting back into fear. If you don't learn how to like, feel like you're trusting of yourself on the way down, whatever kind of thinking, whatever kind of, like if you were a warrior all the way down about the scale, guess what? When you reach your goal weight, you won't suddenly be like, confidence is here. I don't ever got to worry again. No, you'll just always worry you're going to gain your weight back. Mm -hmm. So we have to practice it. So I always say like, figure out, like if you think you're going to be able to, let's say every single time you weigh in, in your mind, when you've lost weight, that you're like, no, I'm going to feel good about myself. It's like, okay, then the 300 pound version of you today that wants to weigh 150 pounds, she's got to be able to get on the scale and not beat herself up. Mm -hmm. She's got to start where she's at with figuring out how she's going to feel good at the end, how she's going to feel confident, how she's going to trust it in the end. That means that you today has to look for where you're not being that now and stop the bleeding. Start looking for, so if you, if you lose five pounds in a month, you can't afford to say, I hope this continues because you don't want future self thinking, I hope I don't gain my weight back. You got to start saying, this is who I am. This is who I'm becoming. I'm so glad I did these things. If I keep doing the things I'm doing, there's no reason for this to stop. Like we have to practice who we're going to be. That allows you to have all those feelings that you think you're going to get just because you weigh a certain amount. I love it. I think that's part of the the future self thing too, is like, what would a 150 pound me be eating like? What would she be moving like? What would she be thinking like? And let's say, you don't have to wait to do that now. You can do that now instead of being like, well, it'll change when I get there. And you kind of like force your way through the wall. Well, I think the important part of that, just for the weight loss people is that, so when I'm trying to explain a concept, I always think like, who is my person who is feeling the most broken and defeated right now? And if I tell them this, will they believe it? Will it make sense? Can they chew on it? And so like, when you think about like, if your future self is eating healthy and you weigh 300, you're probably imagining her having salads and fish and vegetables and whatever, right? 300 pound version probably can't start there. So you have to think about, all right, if my future self is eating like that, then the version of me today 
has to make a plan for the foods she loves. Mm-hmm. And she has to be willing to eat the foods she loves and start learning how to eat them when she's hungry. Like we have to start like really understanding how do you start implanting all the little things and thinking about it from this mindset of when your future self is way far off, you might not be able to do exactly what she's doing now. But at one point, she did something different. So what is that different thing? Yeah. That's how we get to her. And That's I think beautiful. it's so important because it's, it's weight loss is so much about the little steps. It's not about the big ones. Totally. I think so. you were coaching somebody. I was listening to your podcast. You were coaching somebody and she kind of just wanted it to be like fun and exciting the whole time. And I think you were, it was kind of, you could go either way. It was either like, then you have to think the fun and exciting thoughts or you have to realize it's not fun and exciting all the time and like manage your expectations. Yeah. And I, well, I, I think, and that's where you go both ways. I mean, I think it's like, we're just dopamine junkies. Mm-hmm. Like we just want everything to be exciting, everything to be fun. I just, you know, I want to look at my husband and want to strip my clothes off. You know, right. <laughs> it's just, we just want like this over the top life all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be that way. What we want to do is we want to get really comfortable with like, we just do things because we know who we want to be. That's not incredibly sexy. And that's not incredibly exciting. It's not like highs all the time, but it's like, if you do want to be excited about your life, yeah, think some exciting things like be deliberate about what is exciting about my life. Let me think more about those things. But there are some parts of it where I think it's really healthy for us to realize, am I looking for the wrong emotion? Right. Like, do I need to be excited about this part? Or is this the part where I just, I'm just grateful. Totally. I'm just willing <laughs> totally. I'm here. I'm here today. The, I think so many women in the in the sex and desire thing, they just want spontaneous desire all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I two thoughts is number one, if you're driven by this like underlying hormone passion, like watch out. That's how like workplace affairs happen. Like, right. There's like, I don't know. I just had all this desire and it kind of brought me there. It's like, we don't actually want to live how we think we want it. And then number yeah. two is like, ditch your relationship, get somebody new. We give up, spon- it's how our brain works again, right? It's yeah. like our brain loves novelty. We love not knowing. We love that. And when we get into a monogamous long-term relationship, we know the person really well. And so that brain, like, I'm kind of curious about what Friday night might happen. Like the brain's like, no, I know. I probably know what Friday night's going to be like. Right. So it's like, we think we want something, but we actually don't. We want the stability monogamous relationship we're in. We just have to work on that. What, what does desire mean to me? Well, I think that's so interesting because that plays out. I like, I never really thought about it this way, but it plays out in weight loss a lot. What a lot of people, they want their diet to be like, I want to be motivated and I want it to, you know, like they just want it to feel like, and we're just always like on this a major high. Well, what happens is, is that after about three weeks, I mean, crap gets boring. I mean, you're just doing similar stuff all the time. It's it's not new and exciting. It's not supposed to be new and exciting the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so, but if you need that adrenaline rush all the time, you'll quit a diet so that you can find another one to get your adrenaline rush. And that's how we end up self-sabotaging. So I think that's I probably end up doing a podcast on this, on the idea of, Bring me we gotta, on. I know we got to really like re-examine this idea of what we think we want at like, do we really want to be highly motivated and excited all the time? Like what a, a lifestyle is not going to be highly motivating and exciting. It's right. boring. Yeah. It's just what you do. You know, you, it's not a lot to it. So that's, 
Super interesting. I'm really glad you brought that up. <laughs> Yay. I, well, I think it's the myth again of Hollywood, right? Like, look at the hot, sexy life they're living. And you're like, yes. uh, I think they just like lift weights and put them down and lift the weights again. And, right. You know, eat, eat the tuna. But, and they probably just put their plates in the dishwasher. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just very normal. <laughs> yeah, they still have to wipe the crumbs off the table. Like, like right. everything's, everybody kind of lives the same life, really. We just kind of put shiny stuff on the marketing stuff. You said something that I just loved and I want you to expand on it. You said people spend too much time allowing self-doubt to be the main conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's talk all about that. Why do women think it's okay to beat themselves up? I and think it's just... themselves? I definitely think it's societal stuff. I think that... Um, Men have always been conditioned to be, you know, breadwinners and like you can be assertive and you can be direct and you can be all these things. And women have always supposed to be just basically sitting back, polite, kind, all this other stuff. We've just not been taught to to be brave, to be courageous, to believe in ourselves. And I mean, we just aren't. That's like, that's like a man's thing. It's changing in this day and age, but gosh, most of us are the walking wounded of the, you know, 80s, 70s, 90s, and 2000s. So I think that's part of it. But I really try to teach people that it is okay to not believe in yourself. It is okay to doubt. It is like when you're on the pursuit to do something new, when you really want to change your life, when you, anything that you're wanting to change, it's natural to have self-doubt. What's not natural is to push the brake and put your car in park. Like, that's what I see people do is like, well, I don't want to feel self-doubt. So what I'll do is I'll just quit. I won't do this to avoid a yucky feeling. And I'm like, why not just keep going, bring the doubt with you, let that be okay And then either you'll convince yourself that your worries and your thoughts were not true because you took new action or you'll work through all of that. I like to just, I always like to use self-doubt as an indicator that I'm on the right path to doing something that I must really want. Yeah, beautiful. I think it loops back to the to what you were saying earlier of like it's a voice. It might be there, but you still have that ability to react or obey it or say, nope, not today. Yeah, we can always intervene. Like not every feeling has to be reacted to. <laughs> totally. We're never taught that stuff. I know. Never. No. So you have top four things for weight loss. Run us through those. All right. So the four basics are, the first two are super simple and it'll help your sex life. If you're hydrated, I'm going to imagine if you're like me, when you're dehydrated, Things are not as smooth as they could be. (laughs) So number one, we're going to drink our water. So we're always, the way that I teach water is um, start at 64 ounces, but it's really just check your urine. If it's pale yellow, you're doing a good job. Anything outside of that, tamp it up or lower it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. The next is sleep. Uh, You know, for weight loss, sleep is the unsung hero. So overnight, your body, that is when it does a lot of repair work. It works so hard overnight. So if you're cutting yourself short on sleep, you're also cutting short of precious time your body burns fat and utilizes its resources at night. Plus, lack of sleep increases the desire for sugar, increases the desire to just eat because you're tired. Like you are raising the bar of like, here's what I want to do. I want to be at three o'clock with an energy energy dip and want a snicker so bad. So let me just cut myself off on some sleep today. That is what we do. So seven to nine hours of sleep. Then the other two is one is called the doable hunger method, which is we don't eat unless we're actually hungry. 
I know that sounds like crazy talk, but if you want to lose weight, you should probably do less eating when you're not hungry. Your body knows to tell you when to eat. We came out of the womb knowing how to ask for food and we never lose that talent. Your body knows. The second part is don't eat like a Thanksgiving turkey. We're not trying to stuff something. You so, get to swear on this podcast if you want to do your, you want to do your catchphrase on that one. <laughs> what is my question? Don't eat like an asshole. Oh, don't eat like an Oh, yeah. So, yeah, basically the doable hunger. I didn't know if we could swear. So, I we forgot can totally to ask. Yeah. So, like, basically the doable hunger method means don't eat like an asshole. You're going to stop when you've had enough, not when you're full. So, for most of us, if you've been cleaning your plate for all of your life or you've been stuffing yourself and all the things, it's just eat a little less than you normally would. That's probably going to be your enough for now. And then eventually your body starts, you start getting very accustomed to its signals and stuff. Then the last is called the doable plan. So the last four basics is you're going to write down what you're going to eat for the day ahead of time. And you're going to put down foods you like. We're not going to cut out the foods we don't like because then that builds an asshole relationship with those foods. You're never going to be able to go through your entire life and not see your favorite food. So you might as well start putting them on your plan and learn how to not eat them like an asshole. So you put them down and then that allows you when you put your foods down on your plan to go through the day and do your life and no longer have to stand in your refrigerator with your stressed out, tired version of you at five o'clock trying to eat healthy. Like that's a fail. So you want to plan with the version of you in the morning who has your back, who knows your dreams and your goals. It can say like, at five o'clock today, let's just eat this so that you don't have to stand there and negotiate and fail one more time, not doing what you said you would do. So those are the four basics of weight loss. And that's it. I don't teach calorie counting, macros, good food, bad food. Like, nope, we don't get food lists either. Like none of that crap. Awesome. Think of how much money people spend just having people tell them what to eat. No crap. You got, you got rid of all of that. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. And sex and sleep. If you're not well, well rested, your body doesn't want to reproduce. It's like not safe right now. Must be in a war zone or a famine because you're not sleeping. We shouldn't reproduce. So sleep is huge for sex drive. So I'm glad you brought that up. Tell me about, there's so many women, they're like, I'm totally fine. I'm doing great. And then like 8 p.m. on the couch, the kids are in bed. I want a snack. Help that lady out. So a lot of times- Asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of times what's happening, we call it the overeating window. Almost, Almost everybody I ever coach always has like, there's a window of the day where the urge voice is loud and clear. So sometimes it's just habit. Like sometimes like literally at eight o'clock at night, the one of the first things that we teach our people is break your normal cues and triggers. So if you normally, like I always say, like don't sit in your eating chair. Almost everybody's got like an eating chair or an eating blanket or a corner of the couch. Like we've got our cozy spot where we go and that's where we throw down. So if that's the case, one of the easiest ways to start the process of breaking the habit is you got to have a pattern interrupt. So if you have an eating chair, well, now you're going to sit somewhere else. If you have, if it's the TV, you're going to try to read for a few minutes before you watch TV. You just want to disrupt your brain a little bit. So it's like, what are we doing? And then you tell yourself, and we're not going to be eating too. So like, that's helpful. But a lot of us, when it comes to the 8 p.m. window, it has more to do with all day long, the way we talk to ourselves. 
in the subtle ways. It's the like, you know, oh, you should have done that better. Um, oh, I don't think they liked what you just did. We do a lot of little self-deprecating old shitty thinking all day long that leaves us at the end of the day emotionally worn out. And then on top of that, we start our day with thinking, I'm not eating tonight. No matter what, bitch, you ain't having a snack. Today's the day we're getting real. And so we kind of like start off like with the command and we're like, all right, I'm motivated. I'm not eating tonight. But then as we get closer and closer to 8 p.m., our brain is visualizing it being feeling like ass to not eat. Our brain is like, it's going to be so hard. And we see ourselves like, like threatened and all this stuff. So when we get there, we're anxious and we're nervous. And then the second the eating voice starts, we're, we're, we've already lost. We have no emotional bandwidth. All we've done is dread the moment we want to eat. And we've not really thought about how we want to think during that moment. We've not really thought about what are the things we want to do. So I teach a lot of like first thing in the morning, if you have a, like a repetitive eating pattern, then you want to write down, this is probably what it's going to be like when it happens tonight. Like, I want to be real honest. This is the voice I want to hear. This is what it's going to feel like in my body. This is what's going to happen. And now what I want to do is see myself, say no, it be easy. What are the things I want to tell myself? Where, like, what are the different things I'm going to do? But you allow your brain a little bit of dress rehearsal and preparation for this is what it'll look like. This is what it'll feel like. And this is what it'll look like and feel like when we do something different. So that's like like the down and dirty of trying to address that 8 p.m. eating window. I love it. And those thoughts, again, I think everybody's trying to like, if, if I just don't have those thoughts, like the thoughts are going to come. We're just kind of yes. getting prepared for how we're yeah. going to handle it instead of responding how we're used to handling it. Exactly. You do want to be prepared for those. I just tell people all the time, your automatic thoughts are not the problem. It's you're fighting them or you're not listening to them. That's the problem. So don't make out your thinking to be a problem. It's just my thinking and thinking is my solution. New thinking will be my solution. Beautiful. I want to talk to you about something. So I was doing a podcast on risks for breast cancer, you know, with is because vaginal estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer, but so many women are worried about it. So I was kind of talking about that. I was saying the things that, that actually are having risk are alcohol has a higher risk of breast cancer. And there is some evidence that having more adipose tissue, being overweight has a risk. And I was just saying women should kind of learn what their daily risks are and not be afraid of things that don't have risks. And somebody who's actually a physician came back and said, if people are overweight, you have to consider it as a non-modifiable risk factor. It's just how they are. It's like having a gene. And I was like, I think it was them wanting to like not body shame people. But I was kind of like, well, do I just tell people that it is what it is then? And so I guess the point is like losing weight for the point of losing weight versus losing weight because of the personal growth that's involved, the way we change our life to do that. What's your take on kind of that complicated issue? All right. First of all, I just think it's bullshit. <laughs> like, here's why I think it's bullshit, because it's never going to help someone to think you are just the way you are. It's not true. Yeah. Every human has the potential to be who they want to be. Like, why are we not like, like, you do not have to shame yourself for being overweight, but you don't have to tell someone. And by the way, that's hopeless. Or right. by the way, you don't get to be who you want to be. Right. Love yourself as you are. Don't try to get any other yeah. different way. Yeah. You get like, you, you can be like, like I was, you could be 250 pounds. And I decided 
to love myself enough to try. That's very different than like, well, Corinne, you're just always going to be overweight. Well, that's, you know, most people never lose weight. This is the problem that I see. The reason why most people are not losing weight is because no one's teaching the fucking mental stuff. Mm -hmm. It is not because a woman can't lose weight. It is not because of anything other than we have been addressing the wrong freaking issues. Yep. And we need to start addressing that. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to like be ultra thin and stuff, but don't tell me that someone can't learn how to listen to their body. Don't tell me that someone, like when you tell someone you are just the way you are, what if they, what if they continue to not drink water every day because they're like, well, I'm overweight and I'm not a good water drinker. I mean, it's just, I hate that. I, and I hate to say that. I don't know who that was, but I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't agree with them. Well, I know. I, and I really appreciate that because here I am being like, the last thing I want is to body shame anybody. But shouldn't a woman know that if you're going to want to, uh, if you're so afraid of breast cancer that you want to do everything you can, let's modify some risk factors. Yeah. And, and that's not body shaming. Body shaming is saying like, you're disgusting the way you are, or, you know, that body's not good enough. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't care what people want to weigh, but for the people that do want to lose weight, I want to teach them how to get over their mental shit. And if you don't want to lose weight, but you do want to get over your mental shit, I think that's great. But because that's yeah. where the focus should be. It should yeah. really be on that. But, you know, I think that this is the other thing. It's like, if you tell someone about like genetics and stuff, I always tell my clients, that is the most useless bunch of facts to ever even be considering. Because if you're thinking like, well, like my entire family has been overweight. Most of my family, well, my mother has since lost 115 pounds. I don't know who this doctor is, but I'd like to just line up my family, if nothing else, and just say, we're doing something different. And my mom's in her 60s and has lost 150 pounds or 115 pounds. But it's like, it's not useful because when somebody hears, like, let's say that there's a genetic component to it. Someone says, then, then it can't happen for me. So I'm not going to make any positive changes in my life. You might deny someone even starting to do walks. You might deny somebody doing basic things for themselves that could change their health, even if they didn't lose a pound, all because you're like, well, let's just like pretend like this is not fixable so that you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Nobody feels better thinking they're broken. Name of the podcast, you're not broken. So many women feel like they're broken. Yeah. I love it. And I think that, you know, another example of that in the sex world is women saying like, well, I went through menopause, so I guess I can't have a great sex life. Like they kind of just think it's like this fixed state that like the lights got turned off for them. And it's like, well, if you think that, that doesn't help. And there's, there's so there's like books written on women who are like, don't start having the best sex of their lives until age 55. Right. right. And they're not sitting around saying, well, I guess I can't have sex because I went through menopause. It's like they're figuring out all the ways to make it even better than it used to be. Well, and that, that is that whole mental construct. It's like you can sit there and focus on what you can't have, or you can sit there and focus on what you want. Totally. They're both options on how you think. And that is one of the things that, that I notice about, like, I've been talking about this a lot lately. One of the big shifts for me in weight loss and in business was when I decided I've got to stop sitting around obsessing over what can't happen for me. I've got to stop obsessing over what's wrong with me. I've got to stop obsessing. I'm obsessing on the wrong things. It's like, what is possible? What could I do today? Is there something small I can do to feel a little better today? Like just getting into the micro moments and obsessing each day over what I can be doing. And in this body now, in this state that I'm in now, what can I be doing? 
is such a more powerful way for you to put your time and energy on. It just, it really took though, for me, learning that sitting around and thinking about what can't happen and what is not possible for me was the biggest time waster of my life. Nothing good ever came from it. Totally. Oh, I think for me, the biggest time waster was obsessing about not having enough time. Yeah. Like time scarcity coaching for me. I was like, once I figured that out, I was like, oh, you get to be way more present when you're not worried about why you don't have enough time for everything. Exactly. Life-changing. Okay. So tell us what is coming up that is exciting for you in the very near future with your coaching and your courses and all of your stuff. So we got a couple things. If you are interested in the weight loss side, you can always go to nobsfreecourse.com. You can take my free weight loss course. We, uh, we're getting ready to open our membership. We only open it up to the masses twice a year. So that'll be August the 4th through the 7th. And then, um, but if you catch this podcast sometime outside of that window, taking the free course will get you into my world. You'll be able to get really good information and all kinds of stuff. And then the other exciting thing I have is that if you are a life coach certified coach from the life coach school and you are a weight loss coach and want to take your coaching deeper, learn how I teach weight loss that's different than everybody else and become someone who's like a thought leader in the industry. Like I'm going to be teaching half of it is all about deepening your coaching and getting great systems for your coaching practice. The other half is the business side of like, it doesn't matter if you're the world's best coach, if nobody knows about you. So like learning how to how to talk to your clients ahead of time. Like, how do you start building a relationship through email? How do you build a relationship and systems through social and stuff so that they start seeing you as their trusted resource? So we're going to spend the other half of it on really becoming a thought leader for yourself, like learning how to use your voice, learning how to put it into your email and your funnels and your opt-ins. And just how do you convince someone like, hey, like I am your person and here's why. So we're going to be doing that. And that's at theweightlossuniversity.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll post all your links in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks for joining us.